Good afternoon and welcome to Creating the Security Environment. Cyber insurers are demanding a health system CIO media in production sponsored by Medigate. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we will take those later in the program. Nice way to view the screen. Click on the top, click on the top center. Get it in side-by-side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the slides and the video boxes the size you want them, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Brian Kayer, CISO with Wellforce, Sanjeev Sa, VP and CISO with Centura Health, and Jonathan Langer, co-founder and CEO with Medigate. So this is going to be a really interesting topic, obviously very timely and lots to talk about, so let's jump right in. Uh, Brian, let's start with you. Can we get an overview of your organization and your role? Yep. So um, I'm the Chief Information Security Officer for Wellforce. So Wellforce is the parent organization to uh, multiple community hospitals and academic medical center and home health foundation around the Boston metro area. All right, very good. Well, go ahead, Brian. 15,000 employees across that. All right, very good. Uh, Sanjeev? Uh, Hello, Um, my name is Sanjeev Sa. I serve as Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for Centura Health. Essential Health, we are a mission on a mission to healing individuals and uplifting communities, uh, focused on advancing the whole person care with modern solutions. Our ecosystem includes 18 hospitals in Colorado and Kansas. Very good. Jonathan? Hello, everyone. I'm Jonathan Langer. I'm the CEO of a company called Medigate. We provide healthcare, a security for healthcare organizations, primarily healthcare delivery organizations. Um, and I'm very happy to speak about this subject today. One of the advantages that I have of being at Medigate is I get to work with a lot of healthcare systems. So kind of a bird's eye view of what everyone is going through. So I'm excited to share some of those thoughts today and looking forward to a good conversation. All right. Very good. Uh, all right, let's start. Brian, let's start with you. Please describe your most recent experience buying cyber insurance. How is it different from past experiences? What are insurers looking for? And how have the costs changed? Yep. So I uh, just went through our cyber insurance renewal on August 1st. Uh, so this past year and compared to years past, it was um, much more extensive in what they were looking for. So early on, they started giving us a little heads up that they're going to be looking for specific areas and controls, and I could walk through those in a minute. There's kind of 12 key controls they're looking for to really ensure that those are in place. Um, so when we went through that too, and again, previously, the, the process for you know an application was, I'd say, a little more lighter weight, right? Go, hey, here's some things. How's your program? What kind of framework do you align to? Here's the stuff. Do you have anti-malware capability? Do you have a firewall? Do you do these things? What kind of user awareness and training? Um, and, and it was fairly light, you know, go through. And it was, you know, you know, same thing, reapply, reacceptance. Uh, this year it was much more detailed. I think I started getting about 300, 280 different, you know, questions that would come out and very granular. And then there would be supplemental questions to those after. And then, so we had to actually put together an entire presentation about our overall security program presented to, uh, we had, I think almost like three dozen underwriters kind of walk it through, here's where we are. And then from there, they look at the the applications themselves and have additional follow-up perspectives. So, you know, again, uh, typically in our, our previous carrier had actually told us they weren't going to renew us because not necessarily from our, our, or, you know, our program itself, but they were actually changing their plans, who they were going to cover and and their business model changed. So we had to kind of go back out to the market. And it was definitely a challenge when we hit it, especially for healthcare. I think there was uh, several dozen organizations, both like kind of just passed by us both from either size or the sector. So 
um, you know, much more of a challenge. Um, also, when we when we went through that process, you know, looking at a just trying to see could we get coverage. So coverage was going to go up in cost, um, and it was going to go up. So premium was going to so so anywhere we were seeing some you know assessments between um, a five to ten x increase in premiums, and then also too not only premium costs but also changes in the deductibles and how they were going to insure, and then their specific components on what they call ransomware coverage, right? If you're going to have it, um, some of the, uh, you know, insurers were actually going to do a, a shared model. So they're going to cap, you know, how much they're going to cover for ransomware. And also, even if you have a cyber liability coverage, specific to ransomware, they're going to do some co-sharing. So if you pay out a $5 million, uh, you know, um, if you were going to pay the ransomware for $5 million, they were going to say, we'll cover half and half. You're going to have to pay up a dollar for dollar matching to what we would do. So definitely a different change. Um, I could go through a little bit of the controls. And if you want me to just walk through if you think it's worth it, we want to roll it back. I um, think we're going to go through that. So okay. we'll, we'll definitely get to that. Um, let me ask you a, a follow-up. You mentioned that your current, the insurer you had, they passed on you for reasons that they just were changing the types of business they wanted to work with. It wasn't sort of personal, so to speak, about no. your particular application. So do you think that made things more difficult for you because you were having to go find a new company to work with as opposed to organizations that are trying to renew with their existing insurer? Yeah, no, no doubt. Because then now you're net new and everybody was looking at their book of business and saying, you know, how many healthcare organizations they want to cover, how much premium do they want to offer? Some of them, because we were, by the time we got to the August 1st deadline, uh, that was our time. Some of them already reached their caps, you know, May, June time. So they weren't actually wanted to meet, extended out. So that's where they said, no, nope, we've hit, we've hit our goals for the year, for the calendar year. We're good. So that changes. So it made it much more difficult to mm -hmm. go out and find somebody who was willing to do that. And then that's when they're looking for, you know, full capabilities, what do you, you know, not, not plans, full, uh, you know, actions, validation of the controls exist today. So that, that was a bit of a kind of an eye opener and past we could say, yes, we're doing, we're implementing this. Here's our plan. It's not fully done. Here's our, you know, here's our roadmap. You know, a lot of them would pass if you didn't have it in place as of date of insurance. Mm. That's very interesting. It seems like there's a real incentive out there for people to stick with who they have because right. you don't want to be cut adrift at this point right now in this market looking for uh, cyber insurance as a health system. So we'll talk more about that. Um, Sanjeev, um, I know you you had been through this a little while back, six, seven months. Um, it was not quite as painful, perhaps for one of the reasons we just identified, but tell us about your experience. Yeah. Uh Really a, a good question and a, and, a, and a great insights from Brian on this. Um, I recently joined Central Health uh, within the last 12 months. So I think it would be uh, important that I share a perspective uh, over the last uh, couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, what I saw, um, you know, with help of brokers firm uh, working with insurer was a looking into the details of um, the insurance uh, product itself from a cyber insurance perspective, which was, again, part of a larger uh, sets of insurance package from business operations perspective. Um, and they were uh, diving deeper into uh, the kind of insight Brian talked about. Uh, have you had data breaches? Uh, what uh, cyber crimes uh, uh, have you been susceptible with? Uh, what, what is your cyber posture uh, currently, how are you protecting against um, malware or ransomware or the distributed denial of service? So, so all of that indicated to me that the, the, the industry from a cyber insurer perspective has shifted to ask deeper questions about uh, uh, the type of threat landscape that the, the, the world and healthcare is facing uh, in modern day. And so the details of those questions uh, and responses really then translate into the type of uh, product and then type of cost uh, an organization can expect uh, in terms of uh, insurance coverage. 
A second element to that, uh, you know, if you have been uh, and we've been party to uh, uh, insurance coverage from the same uh, provider for, let's say, a couple of years to many years, uh, the outcome uh, can be different potentially than if you are a new mm-hmm. um uh, a, a new player seeking uh, insurance coverage in the same market. And so that's the experience uh, that we felt. Um, it was an ad- aggressive, um, uh, as uh, Brian highlighted. Nevertheless, it required detailed analysis uh, for us to, to reach our conclusions. Mm-hmm. Very good. Jonathan, what are, you, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? Um, I know you speak with lots of health systems. What are you hearing on this front? Um, so great insights, uh, both from Sanjeev and Brian. I'm kind of in line with what I am hearing, and maybe giving us some some goalposts into into what you can expect from um, more rigid to, to a little bit less rigid. Um, a couple things without without repeating too many of the previous comments. One, obviously, costs are up. Uh, so so Brian hit on that point. Hey, I'm seeing that hey, really across the board. Uh, and it makes sense given the uh, the threat landscape uh, and and what we're seeing in the industry. Uh, so that is definitely something that that we're seeing a lot of. Um, I think m- maybe even worse. And and again, this is something that Brian said earlier. Some are not even getting the cyber insurance, which is the most concerning, or having to work through several underwriters in order to get finally a, an approved cyber insurance policy. Uh, so that definitely is something that I've been hearing a lot um, uh, lately or, or this year. Uh, and lastly, and I think this is also something that we should uh, draw attention to, is the onerous process that is required in order to actually get uh, cyber insurance. So many organizations, especially on the smaller side, don't necessarily have the staff or the bandwidth to actually go through all this uh, pretty rigorous documentation. Um and that is something that that is it, it's it creates some some time constraints and pressure that I think folks should be should be aware of. Uh, lastly, I, I just say that it's a new insight for me what what Sanjeev said right now, which is which is great about uh, thinking about uh, renewing old insurance versus getting into um, a new insurer and how that might be a, a a point of risk in terms of this starting a new process, uh, which can be onerous. Uh, so that's. Uh, I think that's a that's a helpful insight as we as we proceed with the discussion. You know, Jonathan, it may be a little early in the process, uh, but it, it sounds like this could be an impetus for health systems to go shopping for products and services like those you offer. Uh, have you seen or felt that yet that people are are, are calling you up and saying, "I got to get my house in order. I got I got to buy some insurance, and I need to get things straightened out." So, have you seen that yet? Um, I'll say this, I think it's um, what I'm seeing from a healthcare security vendor perspective is a confluence of, of several things that are coming together. Uh, the recent cyber attacks on healthcare and the, the, the infamous uh, ransomware attacks that happened last year, uh, that has certainly called attention. Um, insurance and what's happening in the insurance world and compensating controls that might help actually get um, get insurance. We've been hearing a little bit of that as well. Um, and also just I think that everything that's happening with digital transformation right now in healthcare kind of post-COVID, to me, that would be the strongest trend uh, that, that we're feeling as well. Now, when I couple all of these together, uh, certainly it's making an impact on health, the healthcare security domain in general. And I think kind of for every organization out there, every one of the factors that I mentioned, may, the weighting of it in terms of their decision making may be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of an overview of what I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah John, uh, Jonathan, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, you know, really, when you think about the digital account economy, right, um, business and technology innovations are really driving uh, growth. Uh, innovation, and even cost optimization. Uh, But they do represent a heightened level of cyber risk. Um, You know, when you think about new products and innovative solutions, uh, they probably haven't matured uh, from a cybersecurity posture perspective. Uh, So as they are most likely to introduce uh, potentially new vulnerabilities, uh, they're probably even susceptible to new attacks. Um, Having said all that, you know, cyber breaches of 
are are likely to happen given the complexity of the world that we operate in and digital economy that we operate in. Uh, and 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 we all know uh, from examples that we've seen in the industry, it can be extremely harmful. Um, you know, we've we've noted uh, examples where uh, hospitals have faced a scenario uh, where they're having to divert patients uh, to other hospitals or having to work uh, on paper. Um, so you know, all of these translate into uh, tangible costs. Uh, you know, brand challenges um, and 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 potential changes in uh, consumers' behavior, uh, but even more importantly, uh, in you know, when, when we think about the mission that we have uh, in serving and caring for uh, our patients and families, and so that's what's at risk. And 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 cyber insurance uh, is just one uh, risk mitigation measure. And we shouldn't think of that as uh, necessarily, um, you know, a silver bullet uh, for all challenges relating to cyber risk. Yeah, well, you made the point about uh, making the decision to divert patients. Um, it just came to mind that there's there's a lawsuit. Um, there was a baby that died. This was reported in the Wall Street Journal recently about a ransomware attack on a hospital. And they're being sued essentially in a sense because they did not divert patients because they continued to care and accept patients, but perhaps not communicate that they were somewhat diminished. That's at least what the lawsuit alleges. So, um, you know, in that whole decision of whether or not and at what point to divert and then what to do with your existing patients, these are all things that are evolving as we speak. Um, so very interesting stuff. Um Brian, let's let's go uh, to you. I think you were going to touch on these points before. Yeah. Um, how can CISOs prepare their organizations to buy cyber insurance or to renew? Uh, what security policies, procedures, and tools should they have in place? So you mentioned uh, going before all these up underwriters and making a presentation. Uh, at some point, do you get some sort of document? I don't know if it's like doing a dissertation where then you're questioned. <laughs> And then you get some sort of document back with bullet points of things you need to do. Essentially, it's like, I don't know if it's free or you have to pay for this part. It's like a free gap analysis that you might pay a consultant to do, say, where do I need to improve? But tell me your thoughts about any feedback you got through the process and what you think people need to put in place to be ready for this process. Yep. So they, they early on, so we worked with a, our, our brokerage firm to go through and they said, these, these are what there's 12, we'll call kind of 12 key controls really is a lot of a mitigation of ransomware. So they will, gave us that ahead and say, you know, kind of walk us through how you have, what are your programs around that? So these are the things. So I'll, I'll walk you through a little bit. So again, manage vulnerabilities. So regularly, again, scanning, penetration, testing, understanding, addressing vulnerabilities, patching systems and applications. Um, so these, a lot of this are kind of foundational standardized stuff. But again, how well you're doing, they want to see that too, metrics and reporting how well are you doing. Logged and monitored networks, right? So are you, you know, what kind of, you know, logging and monitoring do you have? Do you, you know, again, security operation centers as well. Um, phishing be, becoming a big issue, you know, is usually one of the primary attack vectors. So how well are you um, filtering emails and web content? So, you know, do you, do you, um, you know, do you have other, what are the tools and technologies in place? MFA controlled access. Um, so again, insurance for MFA for all external access, but also too is again, then protected privilege accounts. So this is where they go back through an insurance of also MFA, you know, access in on-prem, off-prem, how do you manage it? So, you know, they don't specifically go into like, you know, a, a full privilege access management program, but you really start to have to develop one. Like how well are you doing that? How well do you have privilege? Do you have 2FA in place for all? So that was actually one of the things, this is one of the areas here. Do you have 2FA in place for all privilege access functions? So that, this was kind of a challenge when you say that. It's like, so the answer was, how do you, how do you answer that yes to all, right? And so could we define what, and then that was a big thing. How can you, what do you, let's define privilege, right? So do we look at it in all aspects? So, so can't going there. Um, so that was one area I think that's going to be a key aspect for a lot of organizations to define and build out. Um, 
protected networks, right? So, you know, firewall processes, secured endpoints. So ensuring that you have those um, phishing aware workforce, uh, you know, hardened device configuration, um, and then prepared and tested incident response plans and secure and tested backups. So those are the things. So big key areas, I'm going to tell you that they, of those kind of, I think if I look at that stack and where they kind of really focused on is, you know, you can't always assume like that your defensive posture is going to protect you, right? Because there's always inevitabilities, something, you know, either new device connected, new vulnerabilities, zero days exploits. So those are there. So it's coming back down to, you know, do you have a segmented network? Do you have good IR, you know, IR um, response plans, um, response and readiness plans? And how are your backups and recovery process? Are they ear-gapped? Do they, are they encrypted? How protected are they? I mean, you know, do you have, you know, again, um, management around, you know, MFA for access, you know, what accounts are being used, how often, you know, how are you managing those accounts? Um, do you then test and recover? What are your test and recovery exercises and validation of those? Not just saying, yes, we do recovery exercises. Everybody will say, yeah, we always have ad hoc system outages, something here, not necessarily cyber related, but just something goes on and we restore but those aren't, you know, those are tested processes, but not, you know, validated saying, do we have larger scale recovery? And that, that's when, when, you know, large scale attached ransomware come back, people go back and say, could we recover? What's our recovery process? And they're finding out sometimes at the time that they're not, their backup and um, recovery procedures weren't as, as, you know, strong as they found. So those are the kind of, the, I think those key three, like those are the kind of three key areas I would say, you know, focused on that, you know, because the other loans are a lot more, um, I, I looked at it, those are kind of foundational. These are the next kind of tier that organizations have a challenge to come in um, prior to my role in, in, in as well for C. So I was doing security consulting. So I seen, you know, did a lot of security assessments for organizations. So I seen where they kind of fell in, in, in relative capabilities. So those are the things that I always see people, you know, organization never really get to is, you know, hardening that process, testing that out, building those, and then really privilege because there was even a situation with one other healthcare organization who actually had a ransomware attack and they actually attacked the backups. And what they did is they were actually going and set the clock drive on and, you know, so they had a process that is let's store your backups for 90 days. What they did is turn the clock on and set it 90 days in advance. So basically destroyed all, like eliminated all their backups. So when they went to go and restore, and no restoration point. So those are the things that they're looking for and that cyber carriers are aware because they're paying for these, you know, the, the these outages. And so they're saying, well, how, you know, they're learning from it too and saying, how should everyone else build in and protect? So, you know, really, you know, those are the kind of the key areas I think I would, you know, have you know, organizations focus on if they haven't. Um, so I'll... Just a quick, quick follow up there. I mean, you know, other than checking off, yeah, we do this on a on a survey of some sort. I mean, to what degree do you have to prove that you do these things? To what degree do they check? So that so that this past year wasn't so much as a check, um, you know, other than do you have metrics? Do you have visibility? How are you reporting it? How are you sharing this up to your board and kind of bringing that visibility? Um, and so we're I'm prepping myself that they're going to actually look for that other validation. So this is where we're going to, in my own head, so I want to get third-party validation as well. Here's what we're doing. Here's the control aspect we have. Not just take our word for it, but also get a third-party assessor to come in and says, we validate these controls because I have a feeling that is what they're going to look at next year. So this is just kind of the, this, this year is kind of, I envision it's more that precursor how do we start doing it? They haven't established that process themselves because they're kind of evolving as their need, right? Because they're they're trying to adjust to this crisis, right? The, I've seen some of about three hundred and thirty percent increase in paid out premiums by healthcare uh, through. I mean, sorry, the um, insurance providers over the last year. So they're trying to figure out that, and I think they're going to ask for those things going forward. So not just you know a self-assessed attestation says yes, I have this in process, but a controlled tests and validation from a third party that says this is, we, we have tested this as part of that. And I have a feeling that it's going to be my, you know, my go ahead for next year to get the renewal. 
And it may be the kind of thing where if you, uh, you know, I think they do this with health insurance. If you lie on an application and something happens and they say, oh, you said you had this in place, but you didn't. And that's why you were breached. We're not paying. Right. right. I mean, that's that's simply and how I, that'll go. Yeah. That, that is also an other key aspect. So the way I look at it is being, you know, honest as much as you can with them, because as you you know should be, because you have to they're your Cyber carriers are really kind of that partner. So you can't, you know, my, my perspective is be very upfront where we are. It, it may affect how your premiums, but you're also, you're not protected if you don't share that information, because if they come back and say, well, how did this occur? You said you had, you know, best in class, what, you know, and then you go, well, we didn't have that environment covered. Well, that wasn't to close, then therefore they're not going to pay. So you're, you're really best to be just upfront on what you have. And understand those and then you know work to control those you know those gaps sanjeev what are your thoughts on all this yeah you know um, brian uh, you masterfully uh walked uh, our audience uh, and us through the detail of uh you know what it means to be uh cybersecurity prepared right um insurance premium is directly proportional to cybersecurity preparedness um and there's no question about it uh that's what the leading uh, questions um, uh, from insurance um, uh, help them evaluate, uh, uh, you know, what is, what is the posture of given organization and then how does that translate, translate into premium? Beyond that, right, um, to help us uh, prepare our organizations, um, really, uh, you know, the, the approach that I have taken, and not just essential health, but but all um, organizations that have had an opportunity to serve is that cyber insurance product is designed to help us hedge against cyber risks. Uh, that is the job of the insurance coverage, but um, it should not be uh, treated as a risk transfer mechanism. It's only an element of risk management. Um, given that, uh, to, to, to Brian's point, uh, being prepared with security critical controls and effectiveness. Uh, and, and I won't repeat Brian because he walked us through many of those controls and, and how you measure effectiveness in, in, uh, is how you then apply the other elements of risk management from a cyber perspective. So let's just take that uh, malware example or ransomware example that we, we just talked about. Well, we should have safeguard in place that even a third party can evaluate it to be one, it is present, and second, it's effective against known threats and, and, and layered defense uh, approaches that we employ uh, goes to then provide for our protection uh, from a cybersecurity threat perspective. As I acknowledged earlier, um, you know, players um, uh, or cyber criminals out there are motivated, they have multiple techniques, uh, they're looking to take advantage of any gap uh, an organization may have. And so uh, my view is that being prepared with cybersecurity controls, being effective is the ultimate first measure uh, and insurance coverage is an element to manage the cyber risk. Very good. Jonathan, your thoughts? Um, I, I guess I'll just continue with the Sanjeev's last comment, and I totally agree that ultimately this is part of uh, of the risk management construct, uh, the way that we look at at insurance. And if we look at it in that lens, then basically what the the underwriters are trying to do is a uh, it's a risk assessment uh, exercise is really what it is. Just a just a really long one uh, right now. Um, in that sense, what I'm seeing with with the HDOs that we're working with. Uh, kind of going back to Brian's uh, 12 tenants uh, of, of security that they that they were looking at is really to start with the basics uh, and to map out the, the prime security components, uh, whether it's the, the, the list of the 12 or I'm sure that they, with, with different underwriters or with different insurers, it, it looks a little bit different. But generally speaking, sticking to the basics and delineating uh, what that means uh, for them. The other part, which is, again, interesting, the way that, that Brian uh, went through this, is I think it's not just, a, it's not just a saying uh, that you have these things, but really good documentation. 
and going back to uh, the onerous process, I guess uh, this is part of it. You got to have really, really good documentation, um, whether it's uh, incident response, disaster recovery, all the policies that you have in place. This is really the time to, to brush up and make sure that those documents are readily available because they're, they're going to ask for them um, and rightfully so. Uh, and then um, maybe last uh, piece of advice that I could give, um, I do agree again that um, they're going to ask for some sort of validation about a, you actually performing this process. So one thing that helps is just to show um, minutes of meetings from a monthly um, security reviews that you have, revisions of the documentation a, just to show that you're you're constantly upgrading and improving the processes and it's like a living process uh, rather than something that is a bit stale. I think that as well as of course third party validation that Brian had mentioned, I think those are all all going to be really key uh, to making the argument that you are actually doing all these. Um, lastly, with regard to to tools, uh, the way that I would think about uh, tools is just as a means of supporting, uh, the fact that you're adhering to the processes that you have in place. So let's say we're, luck we're talking about vulnerability management. I would look at the vulnerability management program. I would delineate all the parts of it, the workflows, how it works, the SLAs, and so on, and then say, hey, it's supported by automation that looks like this, because that gives it more, more credibility and more... Um, like really more legs in that regard, but but the way the tool comes at the end, not 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 at the beginning. The way the way that I would methodically approach this. Very good, Jonathan. Go ahead. If I may add, um, I think that uh, uh, it's worth uh, I think emphasizing and highlighting that a third party validation and and successful uh, a certification of some type. Uh, that's potentially offered by high trust uh, common security framework from high trust or SAS validation. I think they go a long way. Um, Definitely. All of what uh, Brian and Jonathan, you have described in terms of uh, specific controls, uh, their monitoring and operation, and then also um, uh, how effective are you with those controls? And, and, and again, we can go and explain all of that, which is what these third-party validation goes ahead and does it on your behalf. And I think uh, it's not easy to always achieve, but, but to the extent that we can demonstrate that, uh, I think it's extremely helpful, even from a, a, a cyber insurance perspective. I agreed 100%, 100%. Brian, um... I think there are probably some folks out there uh, listening who will be listening are nervous. Um, if you're, if you're a good CISO and you have, you run a pretty tight ship, should you be nervous about this process? Um, let's say cost is out of your control, right? You can't handle what they're going to charge you, the, the premium or the deductible. Those may be ridiculous and through the roof. If you are a CISO that's good at what you do, and you've been up on things. Is this something that should still make you nervous? Was anything about this, in your opinion, unreasonable from an expectation or reporting point of view? Not, no, if you have a, if you have a good program walking it through, I don't. It's not unreasonable asks that they're going through. Some things that, to be honest, is what you should be doing as part of a you know ongoing process up to your executive leaders and, and boards, right? To make sure are you doing enough? Here's where it's going. So I think it, to me it was just another opportunity to share to that to this community. The, the reality though is you know, but you do have to make sure premiums will go up, right? Even if you have that, because again, it's just that cost that's going across everyone, right? It's going to have an increase when the number of payouts is being, you know, exceedingly high, and this from the cyber carriers are going to have to transfer that cost back down. So just be prepared for that. So I don't, you know, and and again, if you have a good carrier and you have a good program, the like your renewal should be, you know, you know, not as you know difficult. But you're probably going to still see some premium increase, regardless of what that you know what you've done in past. Because I think they're starting to like again. That's always going to be setting the bar ahead, right? Mm -hmm. This is the thing that we we expect the 
it's going to be one of those constant change of goalpost movements that you're going to see going forward. So, and but that's but a good CISO is always where because security is never a point in time. It's it's continuous, right? It's a continuous mm-hmm. evolution. It's never a, you know, it, it's always understanding the next level of threat landscape where you're going and under, building that out. So if you're if you're a good CISO doing that ahead, I think you'll you'll have a you know a okay experience with it. I wouldn't say you'll it'll, I wouldn't say it will be easy, but it'll be easier than if you're not prepared right right well let's let's stick with with that for a minute um even if let's say you have this coming up a few months down the road you think you're in pretty good shape you'll be you'll be able to get through it you still want to give your c-suite a heads up about what you anticipate to be cost increases in and god forbid if there's any reason that you know or have been notified that your current insurer is not going to be able to take care of you now you know i think that's a, a definite you're in one boat or the other boat. If you're renewing with your existing insurer, okay, it may not be fun, but if you if you run a tight ship, you you'll get through it. You still want to give a heads up, probably about the cost that's going to be coming down the pike. If you're oh, oh. not if you're not going to your existing carrier, then you you're in a whole nother boat, and it, it's maybe a difficult process. But take that where you will. Yeah, no, I think so. That's what I was saying. So increasing costs and premiums, but also too is. It's also letting them know is, you know, as you're going through this, maybe you need to really upgrade some of the capabilities, some of the technology you have. So they're also been looking for best in class capabilities, right? So it's not just a technology stack, it's also people in process, right? So going through that piece and there's a cost to that. So, hey, we, we're we're okay here. We're probably going to get challenged in these things. We need to maybe make some investments into this process, right? So we need that you know, kind of executive level buy-in is going to happen, right? And we need to go through that. If not, you're, you're going to, we're going to pay a premium either way. So how do we want to combat that? And the reality too is premiums, maybe that that's the other, the, the other aspect that they go in is, is that we'll call the deductible. What are they going to cover as your base deductible? That's is going up, right? Those are going up as well. So you may not be able to affect the premium, but you could also maybe, you know, work that deductible. But they're going to look for that shared cost model too. Is what you got to start explaining. So you know, what, what do we do? Because um, some of them are going to say, "Well, do we need this cyber coverage? Right? Because could we do everything here?" I also go back and say, "Well, there's there's still at risk. Obviously, we don't see ransomware being addressed globally for probably years, right? So we're going to see this as a systemic issue that we're going to have to come up with. But you know." I don't know. I think that we have to go back and say, I don't have a Bitcoin wallet that we're going to be able to do this and put money in. So our cyber insurance partners have that and they're able to kind of facilitate that activity. Should we have to, for some reason, pay because maybe we, you know, nuisance or something that didn't, we didn't have the right backup process in place. So, you know, recovery from, you know, getting the keys is maybe the only option we have in some situations. So we want to kind of be prepared for that and giving them where, you know, you know, here's our current capabilities. Here's where we are. Here's where they're going to be probably they look to challenge. So even if you've been doing good, you want to also give an opportunity to bring to the board to how could we do better, right? Because it's going to continue to to evolve and needing to do better. Uh, it's an interesting point. I, I hadn't thought about that, that just technically facilitating a ransomware payment. It might be nice to have that insurance company to help you, although I don't know if you can hire, I think I've heard of these one-off companies that you can hire to just do that. But like you said, it might be nice to have that partner in your corner to help you through this. Yep. So, so Sanjeev, go ahead, Brian, go ahead real quick. No, 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 great. So that's, I would, I would concur. Yep. All right. Sanjeev, your thoughts? Uh, Anthony, I think, uh, you know, the, the cause, uh, the, the comment about premium and how do you prepare your board about cyber insurance uh, and your executives uh, and the importance of it, uh, it goes back to uh, risk management, right? Our boards and executives have been quite aware of uh, managing business risks for a very long time. And, and, and technology and cyber risk may be uh, the newest form of risk management on their, uh, on their plate. So when talking about cyber risk in a way that that really uh, resonates and makes sense from uh, the effect of uh, you know cyber risk in terms of cost, uh, brand reputation, uh, uh, service operation, 
uh, disruption to operation. You know, when you think about it from that perspective and convey uh, the message uh, in, in that particular way, I have found our executive and board audience highly receptive to, uh, to the conversation. Well, in terms of then how do you look at cost components and, and to what extent to have the coverage, I think that a couple of different elements go into that. Well, businesses are, are, are growing or expanding, right? Uh, so market growth opportunities, um, uh, for example, Centura changes the landscape uh, in terms of where we operate and, and, and how we operate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that goes hand in hand with uh, the market conditions in terms of cyber threat uh, uh, landscape. Well, cyber threat landscape has significantly involved, evolved and, 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 and we as an organization and the industry, uh, uh, healthcare, has been very susceptible to it. And so the combination of those factors, just like it would be for any insurance product, like our automotive, um, you know, likely to see increase in premium. But how you really uh, um, address that uh, particular element with the type of coverage you have is uh, just like being a good driver or, or having good safety measures on your car. Do we have cyber posture that makes sense from an insurance perspective. And really that's the type of conversation we have with our leaders in saying, as we improve and enhance the cyber preparedness, better off we will be as an organization from an from a insurance uh, coverage and then how we leverage the coverage uh, if we, we ever had to, uh, you know, given the landscape that we operate in. So I think those are the important elements in how uh, executive leaders and board leaders uh, really like to hear about uh, cyber risk. And then as management team, uh, it's, it's our duty and responsibility to work through the details in how you then, uh, you know, get the organization prepared uh, from a cybersecurity perspective. Very good. Jonathan, you know what I think the, the real issue here, the, the real issue here to, to me seems the, um, the fast jump in expectations that's where that's where the rub comes in, right? We know how to present risk. We know how to make asks to our CEOs. We understand that you know how that goes. The question is: Has there been an abrupt uh, increase in the expectations of the cyber insurers that does not have time for the average health system to close before it's time to buy insurance? Meaning. I show up, hey, I'll, ha- I'll have my insurance. And they go, whoa, 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 You're, you need to be doing ABCD. Now I asked Brian and he said, no. He said, that's not unreasonable what they're asking for. But I did say for a good CISO, for maybe an above average CISO. So I'm wondering for the, let's talk about the average health system. When we talk about for the average health system, are they likely missing one or two of the important pieces that are going to be expected to get insurance. Now, that's the question. I mean, I think you, uh, Anthony, you, you hit the nail on the head in, in, in saying that it's really about aligning expectations. And it looks like this year expectations have, have changed a little bit with regard to what healthcare systems need to do. Um, in my opinion, based on what I'm seeing, with regard to the the sea level, it's about setting expectations ahead of time. It's always mm-hmm. about not surprising people. People have the tendency not to like to be surprised. <laughs> yes. uh, and um, giving them a heads up that this is going to be a little bit more rigorous this year. And more, and more importantly, it's going to cost more. And they should just know that ahead of time and, and not kind of bring that up um, at the meeting itself and uh, let it take its course because then people will be surprised. I think, and um, going back, Anthony, to what you were saying about uh, how different organizations operate, I think it's also about setting expectations internally within the security organizations about what's ahead. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Brian was obviously very well prepared, and, and even though the, the process was onerous, things were, um, were in good shape based on the, the, the answer that, that Brian just, just gave. Um, in, in other cases, you're going to have to brush up the security program. You're going to have to brush up documentation. Uh, you're going to have to brush up some of these processes. And that just takes takes time. 
So that that's resources that you're going to have to devote in order to actually or to allocate in order to get through all this. Now, if you if you know this ahead of time and you're setting internal expectations that there's going to be a workload dedicated to this, then that's one thing. But if you remember, you know, two weeks before you engage, <laughs> the, then then it's a different story. Oh. And and yeah, so that that would be, I think. Um, like the most tangible recommendation that I could give is just uh, think about it ahead of time because it's different than what it was in the past when it was kind of just, you know, a check in the box and you would pay and it was like a regular process. Uh, things have changed a little now. Well, I, I mean, I feel like we're being very helpful to the industry uh, for those that choose to, choose to listen to this webinar or the recording of it, which is, uh, Brian, I would think, you know, they should, the CISOs who hear this, should you know right away put in a meeting request with their CEO and say, hey, uh, we have to talk about some things. There's a few things that is two pieces that I know we need to put in place that I've been asking for, and we need to do it. I'm getting pushback from users or whatever, and he, we need to put these things in place because we're going to have to go for insurance renewal in three months. So we need to get these things in place. And oh, by the way, this is going to cost money. The insurance is going to cost more money. And the deductible is going to cost more money. Just a heads up. We said nobody likes to be surprised. That's the thing that gets executives the most annoyed with those who report to them is when they get surprised. So would that be your advice? Hey, if you're a CISO, look at these 12 things. I don't know if we can get that list from you, uh, but it, it was requested. Look at these 12 things. Find your gaps. Get prepared and communicate with your C-suite and board so they don't get surprised. Your thoughts? Yep, uh, I'll 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 put it in here too. Um, I'll put the, I think I just sent it on the twelve controls, um, in the chat. The and I agree. The, I think that the big you know couple of things um, kind of the, to look at too is, I think this is actually helps. Uh, I think the you know, at the end it's going to actually help healthcare to get up to the standards that it needs to. So I think there's been a little bit of an avoidance of that need and really supporting that into, uh, you know, healthcare as a sector, right? I think this is why there's, we're seeing increase in ransomware and targets at that because they're, they're need to operate 24 seven, they need to do this, but they didn't spend the money to support a lot, of, you know, you know, again, it, it's, it's all budget based, right? So where do they, you know, where's that risk? Do they need to spend it? Can we defer it to let's with the cyber coverage? So this is going to help, I think, change the you know the landscape a little bit in the long term. It's going to be some pain points in the in the interim, right? So the other thing too is when we talked about anything is our you know have that conversation, CISOs having that conversation with C-suite. The other thing I, I see though is there's still I you know you see there's a reporting that you know many of the smaller healthcare organizations don't even have a CISO. So a security department may be just like a one person who's doing security administrative access and does lower or stuff. So those are the ones that are going to have those challenges, right? And that's the concern that they have. They may not even really even know that they're not prepared. Um, and then how do how do they work that through? What are their options, right? You know, how do they, you know, what was what their go for basis to do that? So those are going to be the ones there. But I think fundamentally, and that you know, and then hopefully in the next, you know, it's going to take some time. But in the next few years, we will as an industry, we'll be much more prepared. Um, internally, it's kind of right now, I think it's, it throws a little bit of challenge, right? So everybody's in a demand, hey, what do we need to do? Gain it. So we're, we're it's resource constraints, especially on uh, technology and cybersecurity individuals. Right? If you had to go out and hire anyone right now, it's, it's, a, it's, not, a, it's not an easy task to try to find um, qualified resources. I think everybody's trying to say, we, what do we need to do to bring people in? Um, so like I said, it's going to be a little bit of a, you know, bumpy road for the next uh, year, two years, I think, for the industry. But I think in the end, it'll, it'll be a much better. will be a much better position. Well, it makes me nervous, and I'm not even in the the market to buy cyber insurance. But Sanjeev, uh, I'm nervous. What are your final thoughts for today? For final advice for, I want you to picture a CISO at a community hospital that's uh they don't have every single piece in place and again they've been trying but they don't have every single piece in place and these organizations may not even be able to afford the price increases let's, let's say somehow they qualify for it they may not even be able to afford 
the price increases. I don't know what they do. I don't know what's going to happen. I know some people are going to get dropped. You've got good organizations barely getting to the insurance that they're asking for at, at incredible price increases. Uh, do your final advice for your colleagues. Yeah, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to participate in the conversation. Um, uh, great uh, advice already from uh, colleagues, uh, Brian and Jonathan. I, I think what I would recommend and suggest is 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 looking at cyber risk uh, and then insurance uh, being an element of how you address cyber risk. So first, uh, let's focus on ensuring that the basic safeguards and controls, as well as controls that help against threats in modern day are in place and are effective. I think that that, that is first and foremost. Then look at uh, cyber insurance as a, uh, a measure to hedge against the risk that we talked about uh, uh, throughout the hour. And, 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 and you get a better uh, opportunity and coverage if the security posture is better, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, insurance shouldn't be thought of as the first um, uh, stopgap or transferring of risk because that is not uh, gonna be a value proposition that uh, wants to try to afford or can afford. Uh, and so really that my advice is as simple as that, is just focus on security measures and complement with uh, cyber insurance to give the organization the best opportunity to protect against cyber risk. All right, Jonathan, I think we're going to give you the last word. Again, I'm, I'm stressed. I'm nervous. <laughs> Make me feel better. Anthony, please uh, don't. <laughs> first, I would uh, I would keep calm. But uh, oh, okay. <laughs> keep calm. But I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm just uh, kind of packaging uh, really all the, the helpful insights that we had today. Um, I really like uh, what Sanjeev said about uh, the way to think about this. It, insurance is not... Um, it's not a silver bullet. It's just a component of the overall um, risk management program. And therefore, uh, as we said earlier, security is continuous and uh, the building blocks of the security program should be built uh, throughout um, the entire year or the entire uh, roadmap for the organization. It's not a substitute to have to having a really good, uh, sound security program regardless. And then the other more... Uh, I guess tangible advice is just to begin the preparation a couple months earlier uh, than what you would have thought of uh, in, in the last year, in the last couple of years. In uh, bringing all of those two together, kind of coming to this uh, with a high level of preparedness, uh, no reason to be nervous. Uh, that would okay. be that would be my advice here. And communicate, right? Communicate, communicate now. Tell people, tell everyone what you're hearing and what's coming. Exactly. Uh, to the C-suite and to your own people. Yep. Yep. Very good. Wow. That was excellent. Uh, regarding continuing education, you can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording is ready for viewing. And I have a feeling this is one is going to be very active. This, this archive is going to be listened to. Uh, if you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our panel Brian Kayer, Sunji Sa, and Jonathan Langer. And I want to thank Medigate very much for uh, sponsoring today and you are attendees. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.